0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. On Communion Sunday evenings, we are going through Mark's gospel in a a different kind of way than we usually go through um, books of the Bible. Usually, we'll take a little piece and we'll try and explain it and understand it and move on the next week to another little piece. But... On these communion nights, we're just going through Mark's gospel, and we are noting the incidentals. We're noting the things there that are interesting, small details. So Mark chapter 2. We're not taking every passage of Scripture, but Mark 2 is our one tonight. Verse 12, verse 13. Mark 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, the little incidentals of this part of Scripture are very enriching. Already over the past few communion nights, over the past few months, we've seen Jesus walking, entering, leaving, going to somewhere, coming back from somewhere. We've seen the movement and the the liveliness that Mark puts into his gospel And some of the little details might seem unnecessary to us. They don't teach any particular doctrine or thing that we believe, or or even they don't teach any kind of example for us to follow. But they're there. And if every word of God is inspired by God, they are there for a reason. And the little incidentals of this part of God's Word can be so enriching to our imagination as we realize how Jesus lived and how we are to follow the Lord Jesus. So let's uh, prepare our hearts for communion as we just uh, concentrate on a, a few things from this reading. Verse 13, once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. So the location of Jesus is given beside the lake. And that lake, of course, is the Lake of Galilee, the the Sea of Galilee. In the video that we saw this morning about uh, Tim, where Jonathan was speaking on it with his wonderful, inappropriate Las Vegas T-shirt on, (laughs) in the background, people were asking, was that a kind of screensaver that he'd set on Zoom? It wasn't. It was the Sea of Galilee, an absolutely beautiful, beautiful place to walk beside. And that's where Jesus was. But notice it says that at the beginning in verse 13, once again. Now, we don't really need to know that, do we? But maybe it actually gives us an insight into some of the favorite places of Jesus. He often did this. And the Sea of Galilee is dotted around with the fishing villages uh, in those days. And often there were stony small beaches on on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And once again, Jesus is walking beside the beach, the lake. We saw in chapter 1 that he took a walk along the beach and called his disciples. And here we see that Jesus is once again walking on the beach. And there he taught people what a great location for preaching. If you see the details of verse 13, you see you've got Jesus is beside the lake, so the lake is beside him. The large crowd are in front of him, and Jesus is teaching with the beach beneath him. It's an idyllic place to preach. Well, after verse 13, we then read what Jesus did next in verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Jesus is walking again as he walked along. I wonder how many miles Jesus walked in a day. How many steps did he do every day? Quite a lot, I should imagine. Is walking along. And as he's walking along, he's observant. He's watching out. He's seeing things. As he walked along, he saw Levi. Jesus was always looking, he was always observing. Uh, You can see that from his teaching when he speaks about the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, the trees, the workplaces, the people, the children, the parents, the kings, the paupers, the tax collectors and sinners. Jesus didn't miss a thing. I wonder what his eyes were like. I often wonder this about the facial features of Jesus. We don't know what they were, and it's probably a good job that we don't know what his facial features were like. But... He's looking with his eyes. He's seeing. What? Were his eyes wide? Were they thin? Were they narrow? Were they close together? Were they wide apart? What were his eyebrows like? What was it like to look into the eyes of Jesus? What was it like to look into his eyes when you knew you needed your sins forgiven? The compassion in his eyes. What was it like to look in his eyes when... You were a Pharisee, and Jesus would come at you with righteous indignation. How his eyes burnt then? What his eyes were like when he turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple? What were his eyes like when he saw that lady washing his feet with her tears? The eyes of Jesus. What were his eyes like when Simon Peter denied him? And Jesus turned and looked on him. What was that look like? What were his eyes like as he was looking at the crowd from the height of the cross? Jesus saw so much. He observed. He saw Levi. With all of the people there, in verse 13, we read about um, a large crowd and um, we read as well about many people who followed Jesus. So there was a lot of people around. But the eyes of Jesus focus on this one man, Levi. We know Levi's dad's name, Alphaeus. Levi is also called Matthew in another gospel. So this is Levi, Matthew, who became an apostle. And Jesus saw Levi at work. Verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. What was that booth like? How big was it? How small was it? Was it like a a, a toll booth on a a toll bridge? Or was it like a a market stall? What was the toll booth like? What, What did Levi have in that toll booth? Certainly money, because he was a tax collector. But also some writing implements. He would have had to kept a record of who had given him what and when and who it was and how much they gave. So he was really good at keeping records, this tax collector. He was used to recording things in meticulous detail. He was an organized man keeping things in an organized way. And he would have had something to write on and something to write with. It wouldn't have been a pen and paper as we know it, but let's call it that. And Jesus said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Did he leave everything? Maybe everything apart from his pen and his notebook. Because this Levi, this Matthew, probably recorded For three years, he followed Jesus, the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, the people around Jesus, and he put them all together in the gospel that we know of as Matthew. That's this Levi, the tax collector. Tax collectors, we are aware of the bad reputation that tax collectors had a despised group of people, not by the Romans, though the Romans probably didn't treat them particularly well, but by their fellow Jews. You see, the Romans occupied the land and they imposed heavy taxes on the Jews. They, they taxed anything and everything that moved or that could be caught, bought, sold. And the Romans were in charge of the tax collecting, but the Romans didn't do it themselves. They were one step removed. So the Romans, they employed Jewish tax collectors. And uh, the, the Romans then would take charge, and it was the tax collectors that would actually get the money from their fellow Jews, and it would work in this way. The tax collectors would tax their fellow countrymen, and then they would pay the required amount to the Romans. But anything else the tax collectors wanted to charge, they would keep for themselves. And this made them despised on two accounts. One, they worked for the Romans. And two, they cheated their fellow countrymen out of money. And the temptation was obvious for these tax collectors. They could get really rich in cheating their fellow countrymen. Uh, You read in another gospel about a man called Zacchaeus who was a tax collector and was wealthy. Well, most of them were. So as a consequence of being a tax collector, you were disgraced in the community. Nobody would associate with you. Your family was disgraced as well. You would be disqualified from being a witness in court and excommunicated from the synagogue and nobody would worship with you. And Levi was a tax collector, and Jesus was walking along, and he sees Levi, and he says to Levi, follow me. This would have been shock, horror, but these are the kind of people Jesus calls to follow him. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, said the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. These are the people that make up the kingdom of God. Now, all that, verses 13 and 14, seem to happen probably maybe in in the morning, and then we move on probably to the evening or early evening in verse 15. We see what happens next after Levi is called and becomes a disciple of Jesus. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Jesus was hungry. He'd been walking all day, all those steps that he'd been building up, all that teaching, all that preaching, and as a human being, he was hungry. He, he needed food, and we're told where Jesus had his dinner. Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Would have been a nice house would have been luxuriously furnished. He was wealthy, a tax collector. The food would have been tasty. The drink would have been delicious. No expense spared. And Jesus loved his food and his drink. He employed his taste buds in a really good way. And he was having dinner at Levi's house. Now we might think not too much of that. But boy, it didn't go down too well with the religious people. We're told who was at the dinner party. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Three groups of people were eating there. Tax collectors, sinners, who seem to be different from tax collectors. One translation has wrongdoers. And not just tax collectors and wrongdoers, but Jesus' disciples. Now, cast your mind back to chapter 1. By this time, Jesus has got at least four disciples. James and John, Andrew and Peter. And Jesus had called them while he was taking that walk along the beach in Mark chapter 1. Why were they there? For they were fishermen. Where was Levi's booth beside the lake? What would Levi have been taxing? He would have been taxing the fishermen. For every fish that had been caught, there would be a taxable charge. What did his disciples think? What did James and John and Andrew and Peter think? That they are now going to eat in the house of the man that had overcharged them for years, probably. But they were there. Jesus must know best. We'll follow him, even to a tax collector's house. Not quite sure what they thought about it, but in they went, eating and drinking. So that was one group. And then you've got the tax collectors and the wrongdoers. In fact, Mark really wants us to grasp um, this, this point. He says three times in just two verses. Verse 15, tax collectors and sinners. Verse 16, sinners and tax collectors. Verse 16, again, tax collectors and sinners. And then verse 17, sinners, wrongdoers. Well, it was outrageous for Jesus to eat with tax collectors, the unclean and the despised. It was outrageous for Jesus to eat with sinners and wrongdoers, those that had done wrong to themselves and wrong to others. It just shouldn't do that. But these were Levi's friends, and Jesus will eat with our friends. The righteous religious people had just cast Levi aside, will have nothing to do with you. So he gathers around himself a group of friends that are despised and looked as foolish and looked down upon sinners and tax collectors. And he holds this dinner party for them. We've said that Mark records these various details and it would have been lovely to know what was actually on the table, wouldn't it? <laughs> What what was it he was actually eating and drinking? There they are at the dinner party. Why did Levi throw that dinner party? I think for a few reasons. One, he'd been converted. He'd got up and he'd followed Jesus. There was faith and repentance. He'd entered the kingdom of God. This was a conversion party. And what's more, Levi was so happy. Jesus Had called him. It was rejoicing time. It was spontaneous thankfulness. I'm going to throw a meal for you because you've saved me. And what's more, it was a great way to introduce his friends to Jesus. He's got an evangelistic heart already. It must have been a wonderful dinner time. The tasty food, the delicious drink. Jesus talking, Jesus teaching. Maybe it was here, first of all, that he first tried out his prodigal son's story to these people. The tax collectors and the wrongdoers listening eagerly. The disciples learning what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. So celebratory, so enjoyable. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And it all seems to be going really well, even though the disciples would have felt a little uncomfortable. And then... You've got a jarring note, verse 16. Jesus got into trouble with the religious leaders for doing this. Indeed, they were deeply offended by Jesus, verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were intensely upset with him. They do not like who he calls to be his disciples. They don't like who he spends time with. They don't like where he eats. They don't like what he does. A teacher like Jesus, who would have taught what we know as the Old Testament, shouldn't have table fellowship with the likes of Levi, the tax collector and his buddies. So they don't actually go to Jesus and say this, cowards. They say it to his disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus ate with them and heard, overheard, what these these Pharisees were saying. Verse 17, on hearing this, his ears were in action. He hears this. The religious people speaking to his disciples, either his disciples come and tell Jesus, or else Jesus overhears what these Pharisees are saying. But the senses of Jesus are all in action. He walked, he talked, he spoke, he saw, he ate, he heard, and he overheard exactly what was being said. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Wouldn't you love someone to say that to you? Wouldn't you just love that you had opportunity to spend an evening or a few evenings with totally irrelig- irreligious people. You know, I prefer that than spending an evening with stuffy church people talking about Bible translations. And, and in fact, it happens. Uh, I, I, I spend evenings with very ir- irreligious people, and uh, they tell me jokes that I shouldn't laugh at, but I do, and and they tell me jokes to actually um, try and shock me, but they can't. But there's an opportunity to speak about Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you just love that? What are you doing in that place talking to those people? Telling them the way of salvation. What are you doing? You're going to get contaminated. You run with dogs, you catch fleas. Don't do that. Telling them about the cross and resurrection. And Jesus overhears this, and, 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 and Jesus goes straight into action in verse 17, and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Jesus is being ironic here. He's calling the Pharisees the healthy people. They were far from that spiritually, but that's how they thought of themselves. They thought, we are all right. We read the law, we go to the synagogue, we're fine. We don't mix with the scum. No, not at all. But Jesus says to them, okay, you think you're healthy? You think you're righteous? I'll humor you. You don't need me, do you? Go and get saved by your religion. But these people, these tax collectors, these sinners, they know they need me. They're sick. They know it. They need a doctor. So you righteous people will go and be saved by your religion. I'll spend my time with those who know they need me. And that's why Jesus Christ came to earth, to call sinners. It was a deliberate policy of his. It was his mission. It was what he was all about. He came to seek and save people like Levi, people like you, people like me. And he's still the same today. Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's the invitation that Jesus gives. The door is open, the door is there for us to have fellowship with Jesus. You see, he's died to save us. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. Christ died for the ungodly while we were still sinners. Jesus calls Levi, the ungodly sinner, to follow him. He has a meal with Jesus. And we are invited at the communion table which has all of the elements of a meal, the bread and the fruit juice, and all the symbolism of a body and blood, the life and death of Jesus. And we're invited to this meal with Jesus, to remember him, and he is present with us. And we're invited to eat and to drink, though we have done so much wrong, but we've responded to the call of the Saviour. And our sins are taken away. So as we come to this time of communion, remember that Jesus loves you. And Jesus has died for you. And Jesus has forgiven your sins. And he said, I never want you to forget that. So I'll let you have a meal in remembrance of me. Eat the bread. Remember my body I lived in. Drink the juice, remember my blood shed for you. It's all for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We come to the Lord's table. This is for Christian people, it's for those who have openly acknowledged that Jesus Christ is their savior and their Lord. And to us who believe, he is precious. And this feast also is precious, because of what it means. It means so much, it might seem very meager, but all the depth. The bread, the body of Christ. The juice, the blood of Christ. what it represents. And as we eat and as we drink, we show that we have taken Christ into our life and we are his. And the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For the forgiveness of sins, do this in remembrance of me. The way that we'll take communion tonight is that uh, come forward and take a piece of bread and uh, a cup of the juice and take it back to your seat. Eat the bread when you return to your seat, but hold on to the cup so that we can drink it together as a church will come forward from the first row and then you'll see the second row and the third row and the fourth row and and so on so please come forward as the music plays to take some bread and wine the blood of jesus christ cleanses from every sin jesus said do this in remembrance of me may the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us evermore. Amen. Amen.